Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Well, howdy, howdy, howdy. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by the Centennial Institute in studio today. We're with producer Jamie Erker. Quick draw, Jamie Erker. My name is Jeff Hunt. I'm the wagon boss on the board, Michael Arpaio. So grateful for his hard work. Uh, we love being partners with Salem. Uh, they have been wonderful to work with and to be in their studios each week producing the Frontier Freedom Hour, where we cover issues facing the Western United States from a Christian conservative perspective. Our guest today is Luke Niforatos of Smart Approaches to Marijuana. It's actually a Greek pronunciation, but I'll, I'll get it at some point. You're nailing it. You're doing it. As long as I don't get Nesferatu, I'm happy with any other iteration. Uh, Luke serves a really important role. Uh, you've probably seen him on Fox News before. He's been debating uh, this growing drug culture that's taking hold, not only in Colorado, but across the United States. Uh, Oregon is making really bad decisions. California is making bad decisions. So let's talk a, a little bit about the history here, because Colorado is now number one in the nation for cocaine use. We've had record fentanyl overdoses. And it's really important for people to understand that where we are in Colorado, we didn't just wake up one day and it happened. This is a whole series of bad policy decisions that got us to where we are. So can you give us a little bit of history, Luke, on how we got to where we are in Colorado today? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first of all, there's been kind of this prevailing sentiment that, you know, the war on drugs is a failure and we need to basically take the extreme option of reversing everything. And I think we should really, uh, you know, slow down when we think about extreme responses to that. Certainly the war on drugs has not been perfect. Um, did we eradicate all drug use? You know, no, we did not. Uh, but if you look at the outcomes, so uh, the number of people who use our legal drugs, alcohol and tobacco, um, you could also include marijuana in there, uh, but alcohol and tobacco is vastly higher than the number of people who use our illegal drugs in this country. So we're talking about 30% people use tobacco, 60% of people in this country use alcohol in some way. Uh, but when it comes to our illegal drugs, our narcotics, it's literally a fraction of a percent of our population. Mm. So um, from that perspective, uh, having laws against drug use, against drug production and sale has reduced their prevalence. It has reduced their impact on our society. Now, could we do a better job of that? Um, is there ways to do this in a more uh, compassionate uh, you know, manner? Absolutely. And I support that. Our organization supports that. We should have some reforms to fix uh, some of those approaches in this, this war on drugs. But this simple kind of war on drugs has failed. That mentality is just wrong. I think we need to look at it a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, so fast forwarding here to Col uh, to Colorado, you know, 2012 had a debate around marijuana legalization. They said a number of things, but what they said was that, well, if we legalize marijuana, people will just use weed and they won't use these harder drugs. Um, and so a lot of people legalized, you know, almost exclusively for that reason. They thought it was a, an easier drug, a softer drug, so to speak, we hear. So we legalized it. 10 years later, what do we have on the ballot today? We have psychedelic legalization on the ballot. We were told it was gonna stop with marijuana, but Jeff, I wanted to tell you something really funny. So a lawmaker in California promised, he said, if we legalize psychedelics, people using opioids will substitute opioids for psychedelics. And I was like, hold up a second. Because I remember in 2012, <laughs> when we were all promised marijuana would do that yeah. replacement for us. And so I made that remark. I, I responded to his tweet and I, I made that comment. I said, well, what about marijuana? And the response was, well, 
Mar- this is you're going to get a kick out of this. So marijuana is there for the replacement, but psychedelics are there for the therapeutic continuing of staying off of opioids. So we need both apparently for the the full medical effect. Uh, so I got a huge kick out of that. Uh, but you know what it comes down to is states are looking at uh, allowing the promotion of these drugs. Um, there, you know, you look at you mentioned Oregon. So Oregon decriminalized all drugs, everything, meth heroin, LSD, all of that. And we're in Oregon, if you are 14 years old and you're caught using heroin, you can pay a $100 fine and your parents will never be notified of it. Okay, so, and and they just got some of the recent data out of it because it's only been around for a year now, this law. And it was like 0.3% of all the people that they caught uh, using drugs in this new decriminalized framework uh, ever ended up going to treatment or even being referred to treatment. So. Basically, what it's the message is that it's a slap on the wrist. And so, you know, that's kind of the history of this is we've seen kind of this movement, A, of war on drugs has failed. Um, then, we've, then we've heard this movement of, well, we should just legalize everything. Um, and so we're seeing what, you know, commercialization of marijuana looks like. Um, I'm hoping we don't have to see what commercialization of psychedelics looks like because um, we'll see a similar impact there. Uh, but you see this, this kind of broader trend nationally of well, we need to treat this like a healthcare issue and harm reduction. And I don't think a lot of us out there have heard of harm reduction. I certainly had it until uh, recent years, but basically the history, I'm giving you a long answer here, Jeff, so jump in whenever you want. But basically the history here is harm reduction, you know, 30, 40 years ago was put in place to help address the HIV crisis that our country was dealing with. It was an intervention based approach of saying, let's, you know, make it so these needles aren't, you know, transferring HIV everywhere. Um, And so that had its place. Today, though, that methodology has been hijacked um, by forces that want to legalize and commercialize all drugs. And so what they're saying is, you know, we need to have compassion on people who are addicted to drugs. And the best way to do that is to provide them with drugs, provide them with, quote, unquote, safer drugs, um, which you can't just for the record, you can't make drugs safe, folks. Drugs are by definition not safe. uh, But that is the methodology that's out there now. And so this extreme version of harm reduction is something we got to be concerned about um, because it's couched in these terms of compassion. But really what it ends up doing is subjecting people who are dealing with addiction to becoming a profit center uh, for for for-profit interests. And that uh, is deeply concerning to me. You know, you're bringing up a good point on ter- in terms of making it a compassion issue. When the marijuana debate was happening in Colorado, I was in high school. So I was hearing a lot of, well, cancer patients use CBD and it's their only pain treatment. So how dare these people say no, because you're, you're harming cancer patients. But no one talks about the drug components of marijuana, the THC levels, and what actually makes an addictive drug. And so... I guess from that standpoint, like, how do you navigate when you have all the arguments coming through saying, well, it's CBD, that's all it is. We're not talking about any of the drug components. But at the same time, yes, there is a drug component. So that's where I've been so frustrated because everyone will only look at the compassion issue. And that's how we end up getting all these crazy laws on the books. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, good intentions sometimes uh, lead to, uh, you know, are the road to hell, you know, right? It's like paved by good intentions. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to compassion, Absolutely, we want to have compassion on people. And uh, cancer patients, for example, um, there's a whole lot of federal laws that allow them to try all kinds of new drugs that are out there. Um, and so if, if it was truly about cancer patients, the policies and the laws that are being considered would be about cancer patients. You know, it would be, you know, right to try, you know, type laws of, hey, right. you know, if you're a cancer patient, whatever drug that's on the schedule or not on this on the schedule and you're in the last six months of life, you know, use whatever, uh, you know, maybe would be indicated for you. Um, I, that's a totally different discussion. But none of these laws, you know, all these laws that are being proposed and voted on 
reference cancer patients, but none of these laws are exclusively for cancer patients. And it's really right. interesting because in Nebraska, um, we do a lot of work in Nebraska, they're considering medical marijuana there. And the you know, there's a lot of discussion of cancer patients and people in the last uh, stages of care. And that, you know, the end of that population is less than 500 in Nebraska. And so we came around and said, okay, well, you know, let's form some legislation that would, okay, make that possible for them to get access to just that group of people. Uh, but we were told that that was being prohibitionists. And I said, well, if this is about compassion for these patients, here you go. Uh, but of course it was a complete non-starter because what this is really about is it's not about compassion for patients. Uh, it's about uh, an industry that wants to make money. You can't make a lot of money if you're gonna only help cancer patients in the last stages of care because there aren't a whole lot of those in each state. Um, so that's, I think, where we have to dispense with the smoke and mirrors. Um, mm -hmm. But we also should have compassion. We should have compassion on people who are uh, dealing with addiction. We need to get them help and access to treatment. And that's something that I spent a lot of time working on is how can we increase resources like a national treatment system, for example, which we don't have, um, like treatment on demand, which we don't have. And yet we hear so much talk about, you know, legalizing drugs or providing injection sites like we're debating here in Colorado, which right. to me is just crazy. Let's let's invest. You know, they're talking about putting our taxpayer resources into supplying a very small number of folks who are having trouble getting off their addiction with safer, quote unquote, safer access to their drugs. Why wouldn't we invest resources into a treatment system in Colorado? Because not everybody who wants treatment can get treatment here in our state. Why wouldn't we start there? Well, and even uh, Gavin Newsom is not crazy enough to legalize injection sites. If you saw that recently on the news, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, vetoed an effort to provide these injection sites. And in, in fact, KNUS, the studio where we're recording this program was one of the leading efforts. They flew all the way to Vancouver to look at the injection sites. And here's what's important for people to understand is that the government is not at all interested in getting these people off drugs. Uh, the, I saw a, a tweet recently of a reporter who went to all of these, quote, harm reduction sites and got all the material and needles and little candles you can light so you can boil your heroin and all that stuff. You get all of these materials, and he never got anything to actually deal with his addiction. So it was almost like to the point where the government's now providing the material for you to get high. And I, I think there's a broader issue here. I, I really do think that the left likes that type of dependency. I will say it's dystopian, the idea yeah. of a society where we have, and, and so there's been a lot of research done um, on kind of this injection site model. We need a lot more because they've only been around for a couple of decades. And it's kind of funny because you'll see out there in the conversation around this that, oh, we have decades of evidence that injection sites work. And first of all, no, there's only been a few studies. A lot of them were funded by biased sources. And then the ones that are unbiased have indicated mixed results. Um, some have shown increases in crime and other kinds of issues, which if you go to the Vancouver injection site, you see what I'm talking about. Yeah. Lo loads of it all over the place. Um, and, and so, you know, there's kind of this prevailing notion that, oh, we've got all this you know, evidence to say it works. And we don't have that, uh, first of all. But second of all, this idea that government all of a sudden becomes a supplier of a substance which people can develop in a, de a, de a disease of addiction to, so then they are reliant on government to provide this substance is a terrifying thought. And I hear a lot about, you know, wraparound services and, you know, these people are doing it under supervision. They won't overdose and die. But please, folks, human life is about more than just death. It's <laughs> what is your potential in the world? What are we doing sure. to invest in somebody's human potential? We are talking with Luke Niforatos of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, really one of the best 
top guys dealing with the drug culture that we're facing. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour. We're going to continue this conversation, so stick around. We'll be right back. 